Hello, I'm Caroline Carey. I'm a soul worker and soul doula. I have a deep understanding of the soul's journey from cradle to grave, and I've traveled between the veils of the spirit realms. I've studied the path it evokes, and I've come to understand why the majority of today's problems are rooted in the loss of spirituality. So my work, which is Middle Earth Medicine Ways, empowers people to find what is lost and to reclaim their own circle of strength by embodying their soul. And I do this by holding a space for healing and soul retrieval with shamanic skills, trance and conscious dance. I love creative writing and poetry. Please join me in listening to these wonderful teachers and soul workers, the facilitators and the guides of spiritual and shamanic work. They all have something very important to share and are a great gift to our communities. I've learned a lot from listening to them. I invite you to also. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Soul Purpose with Caroline Carey. Today I am very excited to be in conversation with Gordon Selby Strong, who's a author of many books, focusing mostly on uh, magic and myth and legends. He writes about Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and the relationship between Arthur and Merlin. And Merlin, who guides Arthur in his youth and takes the king to the Lady of the Lake, where she presents him with Excalibur. So many of us know this story, but what does it really mean? And Merlin, who also promotes the quest for the Grail. Um, What is this quest for the Grail? What is it about? And the questions that one might need to ask oneself when hunting that particular grail. And are we asking those questions today? So join me with Gordon and to listen to the importance of these legends and why we might need to give some attention to these old legends in our society, our culture today. Gordon gives attention to his Percival A very interesting archetype, the naïve with a mission. His innocence serves him well, but um, he's overwhelmed by the sight of the grail and doesn't act firmly enough, uh, which is a lesson for us in being spiritually prepared for any significant event. Are we all spiritually prepared or is there work that we need to do? Join me in this podcast today with myself and Gordon and maybe you might want to go on your own inquiry into your holy grail and your connection to Merlin and the Knights of the Round Table. Gordon, welcome to my podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. Uh, You are a, a writer. You've also been a director and a screenwriter. Your um, topic is around myths, magic, sacred monuments, gods and goddesses, and uh, you've written also written novels. Um, I'm fascinated with your, um, you know, what your particular purpose is around your writing, and and about you yourself. I'd love you to share more with us. So welcome to Soul Purpose with myself and this podcast and all our wonderful listeners. How are you today? I'm okay. I'm absolutely fine. Good. So tell me, what got you into myths, magic and sacred monuments? Where did that fascination first begin? The area in which I was born, which is about nine miles from Glastonbury, um, and I could actually see Glastonbury Tor from the garden uh, of my parents' house. Also, a couple of miles away was a place called Breen Down, which um, figures in a novel by Dion Fortune. It's actually set there. Um, So there were those two inputs, I think, even though they may have been unconscious. Um, And 
I think that I was always uh, in very much in touch with the other world, with um, fantasy, well, not fantasy, imagination, I think, and um, history, very much in, involved in history, particularly history of um, Arthurian times and the medieval era. Fascinating. So when did you begin to write? Uh, well, I was writing probably when I was a, when I was a teenager, um, but I didn't have anything published um, until the 90s, 1990s. Um, and then I had the first book I had uh, published was about a place called Stanton Drew and where there are three Neolithic um, circles. And that was the first book that was published. And that led to all sorts of other things uh, in, involving other subjects and other publishers. So you, you talk about yourself on and one of the, the small videos that I watched, you are a practicing magician. Yes. So you're kind of embodying what it is that you write about. And, and obviously magic is extremely important to you. In this day and age, what would you say that magic is? How do we interpret that um, in, in, in this day and age? Yes. Well, I think the, the thing is that um, technology is so huge uh, now that a lot of people, I think, mistake the, what should we say, tricks of, of technology um, and electronics for magic. I don't go along that road. I think that magic is a natural force and it's a force that uh, is bestowed on us by nature and also by and by heaven by the by the divine force um, which gives me the impression that if you practice magic then you have to be totally involved with those other world powers and realize them and know them and be familiar with them and not pretend that you are in touch with them. Mm. Interesting, yeah. And so your books are very much connected to that, th those magical traditions, that Celtic law, and a lot to do with um, the quest for the Holy Grail, which is something that I'm personally fascinated with as a connection to our deepest spiritual purpose. And from what I've read of your books, there is there is a connection there that you talk about that our that what is our own personal holy grail. Would you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, just to make things clear, I wrote two books about magic, um, The Way of Magic, which is a sort of introduction into the whole idea and the magical character which was a, um, a a guide i think for people who were prepared to to practice magic um and to to inform them of how they should behave and what their, their motives should be i also wrote a book um about the holy grail and um i tried to there to write a book that wasn't um, a rehash of what everybody else had written about about the Grail, and there are many many books about the Grail. So I brought in all sorts of other other things. Um, basically, I, th I think, as you were saying, uh, that personal quest uh, was was very significant in what I was trying to, to do, and the idea that if you are searching for for what should we say, paradise or the ultimate. Um, then you have to be aware that that it not so much may not exist, but may exist in a form that you don't realize. And also that the quest, the actual search for the Holy Grail, is probably more important than actually finding it. And we must almost always remember that the Grail was only really um, seen by one of the knights even though several of them go on the quest that's fascinating so it's all about the journey mm. and people i think sometimes don't realize that um shambhala is the is the um the other 
in a different tradition is is the other quest, is the other um, goal that, that people um, attempt to, to find. That's in uh, the Eastern culture. And that, again, is um, it's a land that doesn't exist, but it does in the soul of the person that's um, being, you know, is, is doing the search, embarked uh, on the search. So who is King Arthur and the Holy Grail? <laughs> well, King Arthur is um, obviously a, a symbol, um, although he, he, as far as I can tell, he existed um, a, a person with the name of Arturus existed um, as a Romano Celt defending Britain um, against the invader, which at that point would, would have been the Anglo-Saxon. Um, so he does exist, but the, the mythic element of Arthur becomes much more significant in the next two or three hundred years um, because of everything that he represents, what he symbolizes. Um, so it's not a question of, um, oh, this person didn't exist because there isn't much evidence of him. Um, it's more a question of both elements exist, i.e. The, the person, the warrior, the, and a very successful warrior, um, and this kingly figure who rules the court and has various aspects to him, including his queen Guinevere being um, unfaithful to him. And the also the notion that um, he is, ter he turns from being wholly pagan into being a Christian king. And that's where the grail comes from. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, the, you see, the, the origins of the Grail are Celtic, um, and they are uh, a fount of plenty, um, and also um, a, a sacrificial notion, the idea that you can pass through um, this, this object into another world. And, of course, that is then adapted uh, in, in the Christian tradition, um, so that the the Grail itself is part of um, Joseph of Arimathea's um, possessions and symbolizes the notion of Christ as as a sacrificial figure. I mean, Arthur himself is a sacrificial figure um, in the sense that he. Um, is not at his most powerful at the moment when we encounter him. He is um, he, he is uh, doubting, and also he is um, wondering. Well, you could just say he's wondering what it all means. Mm -hmm. Okay. And these knights of the round table, mm. what do they represent? Um, certain virtues. Um, Galahad is the purest. Um, Lancelot is um, because he's had the affair with with Guinevere. He's um, he has this 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 uh, weakness, if you like, his vice. And that's the reason why he never actually gets to as close to the to the Grail as Galahad does. There's also Percival, who is an interesting figure because he um, goes to the Grail Castle but doesn't ask the right question or behave in the right manner, and so he's considered to be rather a naive and uh, a, a figure that 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 it represents missed opportunities. Um, so, I mean, there are other, obviously there are other knights, Mordred, I mean, who, who is the one that is the, uh, brings about the end of Arthur. And he, Mordred has a strange relationship with um, Arthur because Arthur has an affair uh, with Morgay and the 
um, result of that affair is Mordred himself. So he's killed by his own, yes. own how should I say, illegitimate son. Can we come back to Percival for a moment? Because there is something about Percival going on the journey mm. and he comes to the, the grail almost, but he doesn't ask the right questions. Is yes. there something in our culture now when you think about ourselves, are we asking the right questions? Are we looking at the truth? Are we facing what could be our own holy grail, but not quite making it? I think that's very true. I mean, I, th I think his his boldness, um, the boldness that, that is actually missing um, is the result of, as I said, naivety, but also not perceiving things in their wholeness. And I think that is very much um, something of our time. It's, it seems to me that the emphasis on material gain uh, is the, the worst kind of um, pursuit by, by a modern generation or a, a, in, in, a, in a modern era. So that one is, is completely ignoring the other side of existence. And that other side of existence is all obviously mysterious and hard to understand, but worth the effort to do so. To gain material wealth, etc., seems to me to be pretty easy. Um, and, and it also seems to obsess the majority. Right. Very interesting. So it's wonderful to think how these old myths and laws um, can be brought back in our times today if we were to pay attention to them and try and understand their usefulness now and what could be um, a great teaching for us in these times to help us understand where we've come from and what would now be far more appropriate for us in this particular current climate. I think that's right. I think what is missing a lot of the time is knowledge. And by knowledge, I mean the, this kind of knowledge that leads to wisdom. And then wisdom at its zenith leads to understanding. And the pursuit of understanding has got to be the ultimate goal. And what I, I think is not, doesn't concern people too often is is awareness they're not aware of um what what they're actually doing um simply because they don't see what is around them and that i think is has been um increased because of the way that technology such as tv or something in, enhances things so that they become something that is not what they were originally supposed to be. Um, to give you an example, when I was um, I first brought out the book on Merlin, they asked me what I wanted as an illustration for the cover, and I said anything that doesn't look like Walt Disney, because that kind of di Disneyfication of everything is what. I think is is so dangerous because everything becomes either bland or cuddly or, or you know acceptable. And in order to understand, to really understand things, one has to make a, a great deal of effort. And sometimes it it can be quite painful because you are confronting yourself when you realise what the truth is so let's let's stay with merlin for a while because i i have read the book that's going to be published very soon i believe mm. and you asked me to write a foreword for this particular book which i was very honored to do i felt very privileged to have been asked to do that so thank you um and it really got me reading about merlin which you know, I knew about Merlin, but 
not in the way that you write about him. And it was such a a deep journey for me to read these words and to look at my own life through the, the lens of Merlin, through the lens of his life journey. And I, I was... Um, I was in awe. I really was. Oh, my goodness, this is part of my own history, my own lineage. I need to know this stuff. Um, and so I was transfixed with your book, which, I, you know, I, I'm I'm honored to have read before it's even pub been published. So what would you say about Merlin for people now who, who might read this book and, you know, the journey they could go on in order to um, – to bring Merlin into their lives now to understand on a deeper level that Merlin is a great teacher for us, a teacher and a teaching for what, what we might need today. Well, the thing you're you... a bit of a Merlin yourself, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's very flattering of you to say so. Um, I, I think the affinity I feel with Merlin is um, his great love of natural things and he certainly wasn't someone who particularly felt comfortable in Arthur's court he much preferred to be with simple people and simple folks and what I don't like is um, when people try to impress you or, or to to force you into a particular view which I think ordinary people don't I mean in the sense that it's here I am, and you know I'm I'm proud of who I am. And Merlin was exactly the same, um, in the sense that he was he was a loner, and he had this enormous power, this vast power, which was entirely fueled by natural things, by the heavens, by lightning, by the rivers, by rocks, and so he knows that he has this power and yet he doesn't flaunt it he doesn't um show off he do he doesn't he isn't certainly isn't an exhibitionist and so that's very much something that that i grew up with in a tradition when i first uh, found out about magic and and mixed with magicians which was mm, probably about 50 years ago very few no, in fact, none of them would have ever admitted what uh, what they were about. They kept they kept that very secret. And Merlin is like that. I mean, that in one part of his of his story, he he goes mad. He goes completely insane, and his uh, powers increase. His powers of awareness. He can hear the voices of the birds and the, the animals, and and he can become anything he wishes but he realizes that he has to cure himself and he does this with with water and he realizes that it's that power of water that feminine power of water that is intrinsic to his character and it's also interesting and we can talk about this in a minute if you want is how he has to change because he is very much a yang figure and he has to give way in the end to the yang sorry to the yin power what would what would his message be today to uh, our communities his message today to to look and listen to to to, to when you're when you're out in the in, in the natural world, not to be looking at your phone all the time, to realize what is around you and to appreciate silence and to appreciate every tiny detail that, that you can see so that it all starts to become part of you um, and you realize that you are part of it and you're not... Um, an isolated figure, you're, you're part of creation. And because Merlin was so strong in, in his character and, and so aware of, of the natural world, um, he is that archetypal figure. He's that, he's that 
um, he's, he symbolizes our relationship to the world, and I mean the natural world. So these days, with our sort of new age culture, people call themselves magicians, um, shamans, uh, they name these things, but, but Merlin would never have done that. He wouldn't have called himself the magician. But in never. today's age, we're all desperate to try and, and you know, allow ourselves to be seen and known in the world. This is what I do. This is who I am. It's kind of going against the grain of true magic, isn't it? I would say it was, yes, definitely. Um, the number of people that I've told that I practice magic, I mean, obviously, if you read my books, you realize that. But, I mean, the number of people I, I have um, let into the secret is very, very small indeed. Um, and, and I think that... Um, this, as you say, this idea of wanting to project an identity. I mean, if you walk down Glastonbury High Street, you'll see 20 Merlins all in their pointed hats with little stars on. And, you know, they change their names and, and, you know, so, that, so that they're, you know, become more a attractive, if you like. Um, I've never seen that. I mean, I've never seen the, the, the sense of that. I mean, the, the original music, musicians, magicians, sorry, that I, that I met, if you saw them in the street, they'd be wearing a tweed jacket and a tie and broom shoes or something. And you, you wouldn't know that they were anything special, but they were, particularly when you were in close contact with them, you realized what power they had, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's that invisible power, if you like, that seems to me to be missing. I mean, it's there, but you you almost have to have the awareness to detect it. Right. So it's like meeting like. Mm, absolutely. Mm, I like that. Mm. So what do you think Merlin looked like? <laughs> He's always got a beard um, and, and a cloak. Um, and interestingly enough, um, he may have been barefooted. Um, because he was so tough, he had to be, being out in all weathers and, and times, um, that he, he's this rough and ready figure. Uh, you know, he's, he's someone, he's very much, I suppose, the closest one could think of today would be um, an explorer, or a farmer even, or, or someone who spends all their time outside and actually doesn't particularly like being within four walls, mm. which again is, is the idea that, you know, Merlin didn't um, particularly like the court. He was there to, to advise Arthur and did a wonderful job, but he, he didn't want to be involved in the gossip or the or the so i'm a great admirer of gandalf um the reason being is is what he says because um i mean tolkien was a very wise man and he puts into into gandalf's speech some great wisdoms um and also he's he's an example he's an example to the hobbits and they they trust him and they follow him, um, and yet they they know that he's, you know, a long way away from them. He's many stages from them, but he, in some ways, is he's as he's as um, simple, if you like, as the hobbits are. The hobbits, I think, represent innocence because they they don't set out to go on. You know, the the journey with the ring for any other reason other than they've been chosen to do so, and they realise that you know only they can do what has to be done, and they don't shirk it, and that's what gives them and Gandalf uh, a, a union. You know, mm. because 
that their their purpose is the same. Gandalf knows perfectly well that he cannot, for a start, he cannot possess the ring because he knows the ring would corrupt him. And but he also knows that the ring represents something that has to be well it has to be destroyed in the end because it is so dangerous and it represents it represents the wrong sort of power it represents the idea of of domination that's what Saruman wants he wants to dominate everything in sight and so th- th- there is very much that that, underst- that understanding between them that they have to acknowledge something that is um, intrinsically evil and yet not let it um, take them over. It really is a story for today, isn't it? I mean, when you're talking about the materialism that we're all focused on um, and the the, the idea of the, the glamour within the corporate world, you know, that attachment to those things and that avoidance of nature. Um, this is what both Merlin and Gandalf are really talking about, isn't it? Like Gandalf cannot take the ring because he, it will corrupt him. Likewise, if we get caught up in the glamour of the that world out there, the materialistic world, that we'll get caught in it. There's 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 no possibility of not getting caught in it because it is so enticing, so seductive, um, and and so addictive as well. I think that's absolutely true, and one has to bring in the idea of, of international politics, of course, um, and the fact that we have you know several totalitarian regimes, and the way that they've sprung up um, in the last I don't know twenty years or something um, is indicative of an acceptance that uh, a a dictator can be a popular figure. I mean, that's very obvious in America. Um, But the the frightening thing is that one would have thought that after the Second World War, um, that idea would have been firmly put aside as being anything other than extremely dangerous. But it is now, I think, it is actually being promoted as something that is beneficial. And that, because people can be, I think, persuaded that, you know, it's a good idea to follow this leader or a good idea to uh, agree with the policies that he has. And, And to to support that is nothing short of madness, in my view. Mm. It's a very, it's it's fascinating to think how these these stories, these myths and stories, have such a great significance for us today. That we really need to be paying attention and allowing their guidance. Um, I, I I love the idea of Merlin. I love Gandalf. You know, I, I, yes, I've I've watched him on telly but um you know read about him in the books and that wisdom that you talk about we would do well to pay attention to um and to not just see it as disney or you know a fantasy tale but to recognize it as the myth that we're living in now and that we might learn something from it and Merlin, he went through his own dark night, didn't he? His dark night of the soul, that he found his purpose through that. Um, in your book, you you write about that, that it was a very difficult time for him. And it seems to me that everybody, I mean, it, it, Gandalf as well, went through his dark night, went through his tragedy to come out the other side and to recognize his own uh, his his particular purpose from that. Have you had a dark night of the soul? Did you recognize your own purpose through that, that that's similar to what Merlin experienced? Very much so. And 
to be brutally honest, I'm going through one now um, in the sense that um, there are two things that, that have happened. Um, one is the fact that, as we've been talking about, that the world seems to be a, an unfamiliar and strange place to me now. And I'm feeling more and more um, pressured not to, to, to join in so much, but as to try and ensues about simple things. And there are very few people that I can, I can do that with. I'm very glad to say that I do meet people who share the same view, and, and that's very heartening. But I think that if you're not careful, you can, you can get dragged down by what surrounds you because you, it, it seems unrelenting. Um, and something like social media, which, which obviously is, is fun for people to do, if that is your only connection with other souls, with other human beings, then you're getting a poor version of humanity and particularly of the spirit, the human spirit. I mean, when I recognize the human spirit in somebody else, it, it's a joyous feeling because it nothing needs to be said. And you, you could even just be in, in each other's company in silence and it would be enough. Um, but I think that it's partly because, you know, I, I, am, I am at a chronological age where my physical self is not as strong as it was, is not as resilient. And also, um, so much seems to be alien to me. And that is why I, you know, I treasure and, and I really value those people that, such as yourself, that, that I know are on the same wavelength as me. And, and yet, if it wasn't for social media, we wouldn't have met. <laughs> well, that is the irony of it. Isn't it? Isn't it? So it does have its its light side, but it also has its shadow. Well, I think it's it, it has its shadow if if that's all there is. I mean, how do I use it to to connect with with people? Um, you know, usually in a quite a light-hearted way. Um, I I don't reveal much about what's going on in my life, my personal life. Well, I hardly, I never do, in fact. Um, but I, what I do is post something of interest, um, you know, a, an image that I find striking, combined with a quotation that I think embodies some kind of wisdom. Um, and that's really all I do. I mean, I, I, I try to be, you know, humorous, I suppose. And, but, and also not to get involved in, in arguments or disputes, which I think leads nowhere. And social media is the worst place to engage in any of that kind of combat. Very wise. Yes. And I, and I do, I do view your, your images and your words and they are, they're very thought provoking. And I think you are quite a thought provoker. It's, you get you get us thinking about things. And there was one in particular that you posted recently, and it was about the difference between a fantasy and the imagination. And that could you say something about that? Because I think that is is a, a it has a very strong message for us in our culture today. Yes, it's 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 a theme that I um, expanded in in. A book I wrote um, about perception, and um, it's the idea that there is a huge difference. Um, fantasy is is something that cannot actually um, be real. I know that sounds like a paradox, but fantasy is something that that will never ever exist. Whereas imagination leads to 
things existing. For instance, Leonardo da Vinci had an incredible imagination um, and a vision, and that led to the Mona Lisa. So imagination is a creative force. It's also a creative force in, in magic because by combining the will and the imagination, one can change consciousness. And that's not that different from what an artist does. I mean, a writer, in his words, is changing the consciousness of the reader because he's suggesting that there is another way of looking at things. And I think that the great problem with fantasy is that it becomes everything in the sense that I happen to think that anybody who is obsessed about doing the lottery, for instance, um, is is simply kidding themselves. What is the wasteland and the new age? King Arthur, the wasteland and the new age. I was trying, again, with writing about Arthur to write something different and to try and make some relevance between, um, well, literature, um, which is is reflected in the famous poem by T.S. Eliot called The Wasteland and the New Age because of um, the idea that Arthur and Merlin and, and various other figures were taken up by, by the New Age and uh, incorporated in, in their, their ideas of things. Um, I think that the, the wasteland is in some ways quite a subtle idea um, in that it, it, it involves the king becoming powerless. And when he becomes powerless, or when he loses his power, then the, the actual land suffers. There's um, an idea of the divine right of kings and what that is in, in, uh, archetypally is the idea that the king um, serves the kingdom, and the uh, the citizens the um, serve the king, and thus it's a reciprocal arrangement, and one is given power to the other. But when the king loses his power, then the land and the you know the people with it suffer because they have no leadership. Um, I th- the the poem, uh, which was written uh, in 22, um, is, is to do with the period after the First World War, when people cannot grasp the idea that there's been this huge slaughter and what is going to replace society in... Um, in the, in the coming years, and Eliot, who was rather a pessimistic figure, I think, thought that the the society of the of the 1920s, which was you know bright young things and and everybody having fun and parties and, and things like that, was empty. And I think that that, to me, struck a chord about things that happen now, and also. The, the idea that the, the new age sometimes um, absorbs the idea of a party atmosphere uh, without looking further than the idea of just having fun. You know? I mean, there's nothing at all wrong with having fun, of course not. But it's the idea that that, isn't, that mustn't be the, the be-end or be-end all of, of everything because else it becomes just one you know one sort of sensation after another so who are the merlins and arthurs of today <laughs> good question um so i think our king our king king charles um is an arthurian figure in the sense that he has the lineage of um, 
a thousand years of of royalty, which is you know um, one monarch leads to another, sometimes through odd circumstances, but at least it it's there, it's recorded, and I think that he stands for something very pure. Um, I have a lot of admiration for it, and he's not somebody who is fashionable or flamboyant or s someone who wants to use what power he has for his own ends. He wants to make the world a better place and he wants to improve the lot of the majority of the majority and particularly those who aren't doing well and also to save the planet and I can't, I, there are obviously, you know, organizations like Greenpeace, etc. But as a figure that still matters, and, and a hugely, hugely loved figure, I mean, when he became king, and he, he goes, you know, to say hello to all the people in the crowd, the affection for that man was just unbelievable. I mean, just incredibly moving. And I think that that the love of the planet, love of the people, and and love of wanting things to be to be better and to be brighter and to be more joyous is very much the best of that Arthurian tradition. It's Arthur before he, you know, at his, at his greatest, at, at his most glorious, and I think that's you know mm. how I would see it. I mean, I could talk about Merlin as well. I mean, that's a harder one, I think, because to to find um, a figure that represents all that Merlin does would is is quite a task, because occasionally you you hear a voice or you or you 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 come across a personality and you think, yes. I, I, I mean, I go along with everything you say, and you, you're trying to do great things. I mean, who should we say? I mean, it's people who stand up and be counted. I mean, that's uh, called Greta Thunberg. I mean, so you're, you're going quiet again, Gordon. I'm oh, sorry, Greta Thunberg, um, who is very much a, a you know, a, a, a figure, a, a young figure. And who who is prepared to voice what they think, and that is that is a marvelous thing to think that somebody of that age, somebody you know who is that young, uh, considers that to be important in, in, mm. in you know to be significant and to be worthwhile. And it takes a lot of courage, you know, an enormous amount of courage. The the problem is, I think that. Because Merlin was, in some ways, quite a reticent figure, uh, someone who was hidden from the world. How can you, how can you um, advertise something or various principles um, without falling for that whole celebrity publicity trap? You know, mm. these days. Mm. It's a challenge. It's very difficult. I know for myself as a writer and somebody who facilitates workshops and gatherings, all that sort of thing, there has to be a certain amount of publicity because if you don't do that, how is anybody going to find you? And obviously people need to be able to find us and that's what they depend on now. So it's a, it's a challenge. Absolutely. And what of the? Uh, I'm glad that you mention Greta in that you know you're bringing the feminine into this, mm. not just talking about men here. We're talking yeah. about women folk as well, and you know the strong voice of the feminine is something that you've mentioned and that you believe is very important. And I believe that Merlin also recognised this. Well, he does because in the end, um, you know, his demise is that Vivienne um, traps him. Um, and um, she asks him to to show to show her his secrets, and he does willingly. Now, the 
the Victorian idea of that is the guiles of some, you know, plotting female who has enticed this old man um, and made him rather foolish in order to get his secrets. Well, I don't believe that. I, I strongly believe that she was the instrumental force that represented the, the male power being transferred to the female because the, the female power has always been regarded with suspicion by the male. Hence, you had witch burnings and, and persecution. And that still exists. I mean, it's no good saying that um, women have an easy time in this world. They don't. They are, they are regarded in many cultures as second-class citizens. And that is appalling, absolutely appalling because the, the priestess is such a powerful figure and is obviously the equal of the magician. And they, they know that, um, they have a polarity and they have a relationship. And that's when male and female meeting together, masculine and fem feminine, that's its zenith because they are equal, not one dominating the other. I love that, Gordon, because in, in the, the wheel I created um, with our certain archetypes, there is the magician and the priestess who stand side by side on that journey. And I always had the, the sense that these were the two archetypes that needed each other, that balanced things out. And, um, and having studied that more in depth, I was I was delighted to read that you actually um, talk about that as well and and the importance of it. So um, yeah, that that's that's fantastic. So what is what is your purpose now with your writings, with what you offer, your workshops? Um, what is it that you hope to bring a little bit more into the world now? What is your message? Well, my message is simply to be honest um, to my beliefs and not to water them down or, or try and make them you know, attractive for, for its own sake. It's to say what I feel. That doesn't mean that I want, I want people to um, think what a clever chap I am. Uh, it, it's more that I, it's that thoughtful element that you, that you mentioned. And that, and also to be able to um, to help people with two things really um, to help people perhaps to create because I can do that through writing workshops and also um, I was a tarot reader for for years and years and years um, and that always gave me a huge gratification because. It, it, it was helping people. It wasn't advising them. It was simply illustrating what I saw in the cards at, that was relevant to them and their situation. And that's something that, that I definitely am going to work on um, if I possibly can uh, in, in the future. Um, I used to attend psychic fairs and participate in them for many years until I found that the original uh, idea of those things, I think, had become eroded and they, they'd become hugely commercial. And so, therefore, I rather um, backpedaled from that. Right. But, you know, it it is difficult for me at the moment. It's extremely difficult for me at the moment um, because I just feel like I'm a lone voice and... You know, I I don't don't want to go the way of Merlin and go mad. <laughs> I understand, and there are so many who are lone voices. Mm. You know, the age of the lone wolf, they say, is over, and we need community. We need yes. collaboration, and collaboration, I feel, is one of the most important things of our times. That we need to we need to work together. Um, and that will be more powerful and we will reach more people and have deeper connections with each other. 
yes, I, I would heartily agree with that. And I think you do wonderful work with, you know, dance groups and, and all the other things you do, because that is a celebration of people being together. And the way I can do it really is from my own, is from my own individual power, I suppose. It is the idea of describing things, depicting things, illustrating things, and um, just giving my message over. And I just hope that there are people out there who, who want to hear it. Um, it has been a difficult for me in the sense that um, I spent many, many years, uh, you know, going to America regularly and, uh, and doing, you know, lots and lots of talks here in, in England and that kind of faded away partly I think because tastes changed and the ways that people presented things changed but also um, I think Covid had a, an effect on everybody um, but it's I find it quite difficult to to, to find that niche um, Interestingly enough, I, I, I met people last night at a, at a particular um, gathering, and that was incredible, the way that, you know, everything gelled straight away without any introductions or, or you know, sort of uh, going round the subject. Everything was there, and I just hope that there'll be a lot more of that. Well, so Merlin is coming back to us in the form of your book. And uh, when is that going to be? Do you know yet? The the, the publishing of the book? Yes. Um, well, of course, I do have to point out that, of course, it's a republishing um, because the original uh, book was published some time ago. And these publishers crossed through um, an American uh, company in Chicago, they got in touch with me and said, well, you know, several of your books are out of print and we'd like to republish them, which is extremely um, gratifying. And hopefully that will um, happen very, very soon. Um, typesetting is underway and um, the cover has been designed. So that should be, you know, in the very near future. Fantastic. That's very exciting. Anything else you would like to share with us, Gordon, that's really important for you uh, during this podcast? I think, I think, the, well, to, to be asked to do it is in itself a, a great gesture. And I, I'm, I'm very pleased to do that. Um, I'm, you know, I feel, I feel an affinity with you and it's, and it's very, it's almost effortless to talk to you uh, about subjects that perhaps, you know, generally aren't talked about. And that's, that's one of the, the, the great strengths of podcasts because they generally are in an interview um, situation. And that means that one person can ask questions of another and discover what it is that makes up their nature you know, and their ideas hmm. beautiful wow well it's been an absolute delight to talk with you gordon and i hope we'll have many many more discussions of this nature and uh, yeah really looking forward to seeing your book again in print and um yeah and other books uh, where can people find you if they would like to read your work um well, um, I mean, you, it depends um, where people search for, for books. I mean, certainly, I have a I have an author page on Amazon, so you can you can see everything that that I had published. Um, but I mean, the I don't have a a website as such. Um, but I think any any. Um, any investigation of my name uh, will will bring that up, and I mean, I have no uh, objection at all to people getting in touch with me by email. 
That's lovely. Well, I'll make sure that your email is there. Yeah. In the comments box below. And uh, that's yes, a that's very right. generous offer of yours. I'm sure people would love to have those conversations. So Gordon Selby Strong, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this time with you. And uh, as I say, I look forward to more. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for listening right to the end. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And remember, you can be in touch with myself or this speaker. My website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker, in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.